You know, I met a man uh, yesterday at a coffee shop, and I used to go to church with him. And he was telling me how he would wake up every morning and he would be praying. And he would be saying, God, I need you so much, and would you help me today? And all his whole purpose and all his whole thought was the same of mine as I wake up every morning. God, without you, I am nothing and I can do nothing. And he, he was learning to walk in humility. He was learning to walk in need. He was learning to walk in dependence. I didn't say independently. I said in dependence. And I just began to encourage him. And I told him, I said, you know, I said, I was there when they were building that church you're in. And it's a big church. The, the, uh, it, it holds probably uh, over 1,000 people in the sanctuary now, and they're going to plan to build a bigger building that's going to hold two or three, and then hold two and three services a, a Sunday so they can use the building as much as they can without spending money on a big, giant building. And I love their, their faith, and I, I walked through the pastor that, with that pastor, that church through that new building that all the steel beams were up and the, most of the roof was on, and, and so you could begin to see where the rooms were. And we were walking. He was telling me where everything was going to be at the time. And, um, and I looked at him, and I said, Pastor, I said, this place is too small. Biggest church I ever went to. I said, Pastor, this place is too small. I said, I've had visions. I've seen people in the, in the rooms be totally crammed and people outside waiting to get in, desiring to hear on somebody to teach them about the ways of God and crying out to know more about Jesus. And I said, this place is too small. And he looked at me and he said, Steve, he said, I know it is. And I said, well, Pastor, why didn't you build a bigger building? He said, Steve, this is all I had the faith for. I said, oh, that makes sense. I said, okay. What's my point? My point to this man who still goes to that church. And I said, what the Lord's bringing you through in the humility you're, you're beginning to learn to walk in and your dependence upon him. What he's bringing you to is to a place where the word of God says in Isaiah 66, this is the one that I'm going to dwell with, the one that has a contrite, a broken heart, the one who's humble, and the one who trembles at my word. I said, these are the ones that God's going to dwell in and dwell with. These are the ones that he's going to release his glory through. And I said, you're one of those that are going to be in that house. And I just want to encourage you that God's going to pour out his spirit in these last days. And there's going to be billions of people that are going to be saved. And I said, be for billions. And I said, God is raising up harvesters. And I said, you're one of the harvesters. I said, he's going to raise up a billion harvesters around the world. And you happen to be one of them. And you happen to be a part of a church that's going to have an awful lot of people coming into it. And I said, you've got to be ready. So you continue. And I just encourage them to continue to walk with God and to walk in humility and walk in, in, in the way he was walking because that's exactly where God 
wanted him to be. Because when the time comes, he's going to be willing in the day of God's power. He's going to be willing. And so I just encouraged him. I said, now listen, because I'm a realist. I, I believe in the glory of God and he's going to pour out his spirit. But I also know that in the middle of it, there's going to be people that are going to die. And I also know there's a civil war coming to the church. Because I know history, first of all. And if you look in history and you see when Martin Luther, he proclaimed the just shall live by faith, the Roman Catholic Church did their best to kill him. And if, if you study the history and you see Zing, Zwingler and Calvin and all these other men who got, and even uh, Tyndale, of course, he was killed because he began to translate the Bible to where men could read the Bible and it wouldn't, wasn't locked in the pulpit. And they started going after him and they burned him at the stake. Here's a man who was walking with God, doing the will of God, and the church kills him. And then if you read history in the, in the Dark Ages, and, and this was right after the Dark Ages, but they were talking in, in, the, in the 1600s, in the 1700s, they were fighting each other in wars over doctrine of the Bible. And here the, the Catholics persecuted the Lutherans, and then the Anabaptists showed up and said, you know what? Sprinkling isn't the way you should do it. You've got to be dunked. And so guess who persecuted the Anabaptists? The Lutherans. And then I can't remember his name, but there was a man who, who rose up and began to teach on healing, and that healing was for now, and that Jesus would heal you. Guess who persecuted him? The Anabaptists did. And then Wesley got up, and there was a great awakening with Whitmore and, and John Wesley and Calvin Wesley. And they went out, and the folks that had come before them persecuted them as they were walking in the anointing. And then when 1906 hit, and you got the Azusa Street Revival, and God began the Welsh Revival and different ones in the early 1900s. Those holy rollers were tarred and feathered and persecuted. John Wesley, uh, he couldn't preach. He, he was trained at Oxford. And he thought he was supposed to preach in the church and have this high place and they would stand up and they would look down at everybody and, they would, and that was just the way it was. And many of these people did not know Christ at all. In fact, John Wesley was preaching, and he didn't even know Jesus. If you look at his history, he turns around, and he goes to America to, to um, be a missionary to the Indians. And he doesn't even know Jesus yet. He knows the Bible, but he doesn't know Jesus. And he meets on the way over Moravians who had sold themselves into slavery so they could go reach, reach the slaves for Jesus. Talk about love. I give you my life, Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to go sell yourself into slavery so that you can go minister to the slaves that are being brought over.
And so Wesley, when the ship was, was um, breaking apart in a storm, he was afraid. But all the Moravians that were on the boat, there was peace there. And they would sing. And they'd be rejoicing. Because they knew they were called. They knew the destiny that God called them to. And they were believing God that that ship was going to make it where they needed to go. And he looks at that and he says, I don't have what they have. And eventually, they brought him to Christ. And so Wesley became a, a man, if you, if you study it, he affected the, the, the Americas and, the, and Europe for the gospel. So did George Whitmore, I believe. His, I think his name was George. Okay? And it was the great awakening in the church in, in the United States and in Europe. And they were, they were mocked by the Church of England and persecuted by the Church of England. And they preached in the streets to the poor because the rich people, they thought, ooh, this is tough. Okay, they thought that, you know, that God had made them this way and they could go to church and they could wear their nice clothes. But if you couldn't wear your nice clothes, you couldn't come into church. So Wesley began to preach to the poor. And he began to declare salvation for all men and that God can lift you up out of the mess you're in and he can turn your life around. And they began to say, wow, Jesus loves us too. I like that. I want to go to Jesus. And there was revival. Absolute revival. And now we have a world in, in this world we, where we have, there's a division in the, in the nation. And there's light and darkness. And the darkness is, is much louder than light, by the way. And uses the same tactics of, tactics of the enemy accusation all over the place, and none of it is founded in truth, or very little of it is founded in truth. They magnify everything, and they nitpick at something that isn't even important. That's the same thing Satan does. Isn't that interesting? And now God is desiring a people to stand up. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. He's asking us to stand up and begin to declare the truth. But the question is, do we know the truth? Do we know him? That's the question. And I encourage this man to prepare himself. And I, and I, I took the picture that he had, and I, I, I exploded it by 100 times. I said, you need to understand what's coming. We are walking every day with our lives, and we get up and we go to work, and we come home and we do this, and we have different patterns in our lives, and Jesus wants to blow up all of your patterns. He wants and desires your whole life. I'm just telling you, this is what's coming. Prepare your heart for it. Jesus spoke to me, and he said, if you want to... If you want to come into my kingdom and walk in my kingdom, you must embrace change. That means something's got to change. And it isn't going to be him. Because the Bible says he does not change. Period. So it's not him that's going to change. 
It's us that's going to change. And I'm just telling you, there is a, a, the Spirit of God is going to come with such an anointing. The Lord spoke to me and he said, he said, I'm going to, to pour out my spirit to where men, those that are coming, because I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, what do we do with those who are coming who do not know Jesus? They've never been even raised in church. They grew up with their daddy on Sunday cutting the grass, and they never been to church. They only went to church if there was a funeral or a wedding. Maybe they'd show up at Easter. They don't even know who God is. They have no clue. In this nation we're talking about. And I said, Lord, what are we going to do with these people who don't know you? He said, my spirit's going to come upon them, and they're going to learn how to walk with me. Because when they go the wrong direction, my spirit will lift, and they will know it. I said, cool. I like that. And so there's, there's things that are going to change. The Lord is going to change some things. And, and there's things that we have to recognize. I, I was amazed that my, uh, my son called me the other day, and he said, Dad, he said, he said you're going to get a kick out of this. And I said, okay. What you got? He said, you know, you spoke, and he heard this. And I, I spoke about one of the gems that God gave me in a position to where I was angry and upset. And I asked him to help me. And he said, I can't answer you. And I had to go repent and clear my heart of anxiety. And then after it was cleared, I said, Lord, would you help me? Would you speak to me? What, do I, what can I do in this situation? And then God gave me the answer. And so because he had heard me speak that, he had a situation where this, this, this at work, um, it was just something happened, and he had to have something, and he didn't know how to do it. And he went and tried to figure it out, and he couldn't figure it out. And he said, you know, he said, I'm, there's anxiousness in my heart. And so he went and found a place in the yard where he works to where there nobody was. And he just got along with Jesus. And then Jesus speaks to him and gives him the answer. And then five minutes later, after he comes back into the office, the man calls that, that was causing all the trouble and tells him some things, and he goes and checks it out, and Jesus had given him the right answer. And he was just so, so grateful that he can learn how to touch into God and get an answer. Jesus will give you an answer for work because <laughs> he loves everything about what you do. The Bible says... And it says that he's going to bless the work of your hands. And he's going to cause you to prosper. He's involved in that. His desire is to bless you. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And he just wants to. And I've seen him do it to me time and time and time. I live with it now. And he speaks to my heart. And I'm beginning to see. I shared with you this, this one of the ways of God. I shared... Um, Ask, seek, and knock. And we talked about the widow and the unjust judge. And Jesus speaking and saying she kept going before him and going before him and going before him. And the unjust judge said, you know what? This woman's going to wear me out. I'm going to go ahead and grant her, her, her desire. And Jesus speaks and he says, you should go before my father all the time. And he said, when I come back, will I find faith in the earth? What he was saying was, his faith is, you go, and you go, and you go, 
and you go and you don't stop. And you're going to get what you ask for. Because seek, when it says ask, knock, and seek, it means ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. And you just don't stop. That's one of the ways. His, that's God's desire. That's one of his ways. If you think I can pray once and I can get it, good luck with that. Now, can you step into a place where that can happen? Yes. But you're never going to leave constantly doing this. Never. Even though you may step into a place. On Friday night was just awesome. I stepped into a place that I just hadn't been to before. I rarely go there. And I stepped into a place of glory where there was a faith and there was a declaration going on. I thought, this is cool, man. And I was hearing from him, so I, was, I knew I was in the right place. And it was like, wow, this is neat. But I'm looking. I'm praying Psalms 25. You need to understand, I, I go in and I... I call it my wrestlings with God, okay? I find a scripture that I don't understand, and I'll go to God all night long, and sometimes I'm up for hours, and I'm praying it and 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 praying it. This is what I pray a lot. Show me your ways, O Lord. And teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. And on you I wait all the day. And I would go to bed. And probably a hundred times that night. I'd pray myself to sleep. Speaking this over and over and over and over again. There's certain things I pray all the time. I pray for my eyes to be open, for my ears to be open, for my heart to perceive and understand. I pray that I would know his ways and I would know his paths because I'm beginning to understand that there's a path of the just that shines brighter and brighter unto that perfect day. I'm understanding there's a path of life. And I've, I've talked about this last time I spoke. There's a, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And I'm, I'm working. And I get a text saying I got to do something that I don't want to do. I'm in the middle of something. And Mike was there, and I, and I started complaining. I said, I don't believe I got to go do this. I don't want to stop what I'm doing. I got to go do this. And I said, I need to shut up. Why? Because I know I'm complaining, and the Bible is clear in Philippians 2 that you do not complain if you are a son of God. It's that simple. And so I said, I need to shut up. And then I said, but, and I started to complain again. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, don't go there. Now, I've had visions where I see things, and I see them faster than a second. 
And in that vision, I see a picture. And I, at the same time I see that picture, I understand what's in that picture and what's going on. And when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, don't go there, I did not hear him say this. I understood this. And what it was, it's, he said, I understood at the same time, if you go there, you will give Satan an opportunity to mess things up and slow things down. I have a plan for you, and it is imperative that you don't go there. And I shared it with Bruce, and Bruce said, oh, he said, he said, that's cool, Steve. He said, you know what that is? I said, what? He said, in the Bible, it speaks and says, get wisdom. And with all you're, you're getting, get understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing. He said, wisdom was, don't go there. Understanding was, it's imperative that you don't go there because if you do, Satan can mess things up and I got a plan. So literally, I'm told the wisdom, don't go there. And then said, and here's the reason why you shouldn't go there. Do you think maybe that's one of his ways? I do. I'm driving down the road. This is something the Lord's teaching me. I'm slowly dying. And instead of what, re, re, listening to the radio, I have the radio off and I'm driving and I got to drive 30, 40 minutes to go somewhere, so I'm just praying in the spirit. And the Lord has spoken to me several years ago, and he said, as you pray in the spirit, you establish your future. And so that's understanding again. So he spoke it to me, so I'm just choosing more and more to pray in the spirit because <laughs> I want to establish my future. Then he spoke to me later, and he said, as you pray for others, you're establishing their future. And so I'm praying for others, and I will pray, and I will pray some things that I may know. But I'm also praying in the Holy Ghost because I'm act literally establishing their future. And so here I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm just driving down the road, and I'm Cadillacing down the road, just driving. I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. And the Lord speaks to me, and he says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you is one of my ways. And we kind of skip over this. At least I'm guilty of this. It's the same thing's true when I spoke about um, Isaiah 28. And it says, I'm, I'm, I desire to teach you line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And then it says, so that I would bring you into blessing and goodness. Then the next lines are, but you would not. So therefore, line upon line, precept upon precept, here little and there little, you will go into destruction. Now the Bible is clear. I hate it when I hear people say, well, that's in the Old Testament and that's under the law because that's a bunch of bunk. Because in Galatians it says, if you walk according to the flesh, 
you will reap what you sow. So God said, because you would not hear, because you would not sow to the spirit, but you're going to sow to the flesh, you're going to walk into destruction, line upon line, precept upon precept. I got no choice in the matter. You either choose life or you choose death. The Lord spoke to me, and he said, you're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness. There's no in between. Sounds like something that Jesus said in John, uh, Matthew 6, where he said, you, you can serve mammon or you can serve God. You can't do both because you're going to either love the one and hate the other. You cannot do both. And most of us are trying our best to do both. Ooh. And so, I, like I said, I'm driving down the road and I'm learning how to die Instead of doing what I'd like to do is li listen to the radio and listen to conservative radio or something like that. Instead of doing all that, I'm praying in the spirit. Why? Because that's what's going to bring me life. That's what's going to bring other people life. So he speaks to me and he says, draw near. Now, when you read this verse in, in James 4, I'm going to read just part of it to you. James 4, 7 through 10. It says, therefore, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. People like quoting that, and I get it. And, it's, and, it, speaks, and, it's, and it speaks of um, earlier, it says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. He's talking to Christians here. Grace will cover everything. No, grace will not cover everything. Grace will cover, cover it when you're walking in it. And grace is teaching you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. And if you're not walking towards that, then you're walking in the wrong grace. Okay? And it says, then it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Then it says, cleanse you, your hands, you sinners, and purify your, your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom and humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, most of us, me included, we read this and we think we're not there or we're in a place to where God is dealing with us. Like in Revelation 3, I had that probably three or four years ago now, I think it's three years where he said, you think you're rich and you, you have need of nothing, and yet you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. He says, buy of me gold that's refined in the fire. Get from me raiment to cover you up your nakedness, and get from me eye salve in order to, to, for your eyes so that you can see. And be zealous and repent. And if you overcome, oh, and then it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Sounds like draw near and I'll draw near to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and he opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Sounds like draw near, doesn't it? And then the next line is, if you overcome, overcome what? Overcome the fact that you think you're rich and you have need of nothing. And if you overcome by repentance, and this is be zealous and repent, if you overcome by doing this and you begin to walk in humility and you begin to let me clothe you and you put, you, you put on that which I desire to have you wear, then you can overcome. Then if you overcome, you can sit with me on my throne. It doesn't say you can have a, th a throne next to me. 
It says, you can sit with me on my throne as when I overcame, I sat with my father on his throne. Now, you need to understand, this is, anybody here walking in that? Please. I can tell you what Jesus told me. He said, this is not an invitation for you. This is an invitation to all those that live in this age, which is the Laodicean age in America. And he said, this is an invitation to all those that if they'll repent and if they'll pay that price and they'll come after me, they'll sit with me on my throne. And the only thing I know that means right now is that there will be a place of authority that you'll have. That when God speaks, you speak, and it happens. Jesus said, if you love me and you keep my commandments, my Father will love you and will make our abode with you, and I will manifest myself to you. When was the last time Jesus manifested himself to you? Look, it's in the word. All I'm saying is, is we're not walking and walking in the place where God desires us to walk, otherwise be walking in this. I also believe that there's a timing involved. And I believe the timing is now. I believe the reason why I'm speaking is that this is an invitation that God desires for you to walk in a place with him. That when you pray, because Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, it will be done. I want a prayer life like that. I'm going after a prayer life like that. And I understand it means that I'm going to pray what he's praying. So therefore, another one of my prayers is, is, Lord, would you show me what you value and what's on your heart and what you desire to take place? Because if you begin to show me your heart and I get close enough to you to see your heart, then I'll be able to pray and see results all the time. That's what I'm after. Steve, are you there yet? No, I'm not. I still need a lot of help. <laughs> okay? But that doesn't mean that I'm going to scratch that because I haven't got it yet. Because Paul said in, in Philippians 3, he said, I'm going to go after that which I was laid, I'm going to lay hold of that which I was laid hold of for, which is Christ. That upward calling of Christ, of Christ in you, the hope of glory. You've heard me speak it. It's true. Okay? God's desire is that he reveal his glory through his people. I heard a preacher the other day preaching that verse again out of Isaiah. God's not going to give his glory to another. And he totally misinterpreted scripture. Totally. And I just shake my head at it. He'll not give his glory to another means he's not going to give it to those who are going to blow it. He's going to give it to his church. And, and what, he, what, what he means by another, he said, you're my people. I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to give it to another. And, but why? He says, I'm going to give it to my people. Are you the people of God? I got two. So I'll preach to you too, okay? 
So, so the people of God are going to have the glory of God displayed through them. This is his, this is his call. He says, draw near to God and, and he will draw near to you. Now, here's the point. The point I want to make is, just like Isaiah 28, we look at that verse in this negative and we, don't, and we just kind of we just put it off. The church does it to this one too. And what I'm saying is, is Jesus said, draw near to God and I will draw near to you is one of my ways. Which means you not, may not be in the place of you need to have you cleanse your heart because you're walking in righteousness. And so are you going to skip the first part of the verse? And what God is saying is, is don't skip the first part. If you're growing up and you're walking in the grace of God and you're seeing it change your life, and you're beginning to walk in that righteousness and you're beginning to know who you are in Christ and you're beginning to walk that way, he says, draw near and I'll draw near to you. And the closer he gets, the more you fall in love. You were singing it today. Jesus, you're so beautiful. The closer you get, the more you can see him. The more you can see him, the more beautiful you see he is. The more beautiful you see he is, the more you fall in love. The more you fall in love, the more you fall in love with yourself. The more you fall in love with him, the more you fall in love with yourself. Because read the book, A Song of Solomon. I, I, I would suggest that you get the Passion Translation. Best one I know in it. But what it says time and time again, the bridegroom is saying and telling his bride, she thinks she's dark and ugly, and he says that she's beautiful. Time and time again, if you read it. Time and time again. Why? Because he, he's changing her heart. And the same thing is happening in us as we draw near. Why, Steve, are you praying in the Holy Ghost when you're driving down the road? Because I'm drawing near. And as I draw near, all of a sudden, he speaks to me things I've never heard before. And you can't tell me that he wouldn't do the same thing for you. Because you'd be a liar if you told me that. Because he's willing. If you know him and you go after him, he's willing to tell you his secrets. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. We've already covered it. I'll just remind you, God called you to be a king. That's his calling. That's his destiny for you. You're called to be a king. Now, a king isn't what most people have talked about in the kingdom age, that God's going to have you and you're going to be rulers over everything. That's true, but not in the way that most carnal men preach it. I'm being ornery now here, aren't I? I'm beginning to see more and more. We talked about this, Chris. When you lay down your life and that woman gets saved, you're walking in your kingship. <laughs> when you lay down your life for someone and you begin to lay down your life, because Jesus said, don't be like the Gentiles that want to lord it over people. He said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, become the servant of all. Become a love slave. That's being a king. And when we become, we begin to walk that way, 
and it's the training right now. Jesus knows the end from the beginning, and you're happen, you happen to be in the middle. And what his desire is is that you learn in your life here, as short as it is, to learn how to be a king. Because in Revelations 1, I think verse 5, it says he made us kings and priests unto our God. His whole purpose is to make you a king and a priest unto our God. And so the short life that we have, this vapor that we live in right here, in between the beginning and the end is to teach us and to conform us to his image. What is his image? He laid down his godhood and became a bond slave, the Bible says in Philippians 2. And we are to be in his image and in his likeness. We're to be conformed to the image of his son in, in Romans 8, verse 29. And that conform to the image means that there will be a part of him in you. That in, in you. If you want to get into it, you have to get into it in 2 Peter, where it speaks of you've been given the divine nature of God. And it's, it speaks of the fact that the corruption that's in the world through lust is actually being wiped out of your life. Because the more you walk by the Spirit, the more you don't walk after the lust of the flesh. The more you walk into life, the more you walk into divinity. Oh, I'm going to be God. No. The only way that you're going to be God with a little G is that he would honor you so much to set you in that place. I'm beginning to see now. I've heard the messages. And I'm beginning to see that they were, they were coming from a wrong perspective. They were coming from a carnal perspective. And we all got shouted, glory, glory, glory. Just like you hear everybody when, when the preacher says, God's stores up the wealth of the wicked for the righteous. And all these poor people are out there saying, yes, hallelujah, praise God. You think God, when you can't be a good steward of what he's given you so far, is going to, so far, is going to pour out the wealth of the wicked to you? I'm being ornery now, aren't I? I, I, I can get so ornery sometimes. All I'm saying is, is this is what Jesus said. He took the, 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 the three he spoke the parable of the, the master, which he's the master. And he gave the one servant five talents, one two, and one one. And when he came back, the master comes back, the one that had five, multiplied it to ten. And he said, well done. I'm going to put you over ten cities. The one that had been given two had multiplied it to five, didn't he? I think. He multiplied it, right? It doubled it. Okay, to four, right? Yeah, it was five, two, and, and one, then it was ten, four, and zero. Exactly. So it's, you're going you're gonna to be in charge of four cities, and then the one who gave one to, and they say that this talent would, could have been worth $600,000. We're not talking about just a little piece, a little coin. We're talking about some jing here, Okay. And then the man says, I buried it because I knew you were wicked. You were, you were a harsh taskmaster. And he said, because you thought that I was that way, why didn't you at least, here you, if you want to know the least thing you can do with your money, is put it in the bank and get interest. Why didn't you at least do that so that when I came back, I at least get back what I gave you plus interest. And now I don't even have that. 
And he said, you were a wicked servant. Take the one from the, the one here and give it to the one who's got 10. That certainly doesn't sound like the welfare system we live in. I'm being ornery again, aren't I? And all I'm saying is, is God is after people who are going to follow his lead, and his lead is always to multiply and to be a giver and to be generous and to follow after his spirit. And all I'm saying is everything that we do, we have to be a good steward of that which he's given us. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, Clint, draw near, and he will draw near to you. I'm going to read another verse now, and it's in Isaiah 55. It says, um, incline your ear. Incline is a verb, right, Jenny? Incline is a verb, which is action, okay? Incline your ear and come to me. Come is a verb, right? Come. Hear, and your soul shall live. That's here is a verb, right? She's got a master's in English, man. I just ask her all the time. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Then it says in verse 6 of Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek is the verb, right? It's the action. And then it says call upon him while he is near. Call is the verb. It's the action. Let the wicked forsake his way. Forsake is the verb there, right? And the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return. Return is the verb to the Lord. He's doing it. It's an action. Okay? And he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, we're talking about the heart of God when I read this here. First of all, he desires us to do something. I know that he's done it all. But again, he made you blameless so that you could become blameless. He made you a light in the world so that you could become a light. He made you his friend so that you would become his friend. He made you righteous so that you would walk in righteousness. He made you holy so that you could walk in holiness. It's something that we have to actually put our feet to and do. And everything that's in, the, in, these, in these few verses here, all these verbs speak of incline, come, hear, seek, call, forsake, return. And then the heart of God is in the middle of all of it. And he says, and he will have mercy on him, and for he will abundantly pardon. So there's a place in time. In fact, if you haven't been there, then you will be. I just I'll introduce you to this. If you haven't been to the place to where you've seen, where God opened your eyes to see, not, after, not when you were born again. I'm talking about after you were born again. And God actually opened your eyes to see something to where you can see, I'm, I'm walking the wrong way. And I need to go a different way. He's going to open you. That's what the goodness of God is all about. His goodness is that your eyes get open so that you can see. Because it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And it's, and, and, but the thing about it is, is all the time, his desire is, is I'm going to have mercy and I'm going to abundantly pardon. 
I'm going to have mercy, and I'm going to abundantly pardon. So God is always after because his, your whole life, he's after making you a king, right? And what's going to happen is, is he's going to highlight things in your life, strongholds that are in your life that happened when you were a kid. That you do certain things and you can't trust God. You can only trust him so far. And you're going to walk in this manipulation and control. Because you've got to control things. Because your daddy abused you. Or your daddy left you. Or um, your daddy broke his back. Or something happened to you when you were a child. And you were mocked all the time. So therefore you begin to build these, these strongholds. And they build these protective things. To where you don't let people or God in. And every single one of us has either had or has strongholds. And God just wants to keep cleansing us from those strongholds. Does he love you? Absolutely. Does he know what, that you're a mess? He sure does. Does he love you anyway? Yes, he does. Does he want to keep you the same? No, he doesn't. His whole purpose by the mercy seat and the glory it says you're changed from glory to glory. The whole purpose of the mercy seat is to have the glory shining. And when you get and you see the face of Jesus, and when you beget and you begin to draw near, you get close to that mercy seat and that light comes upon you and you begin to see. And you say, oh, this is not where it should be. And then you, you go and you say, would you have mercy on me, God, and would you help me? And then all of a sudden, that which you've struggled with for years that you've tried to change, that you've read all the self-help books that you could read, and you've tried time and time again. You say, God, would you help me? And all of a sudden, there comes a day. It could be a month later. It could be a week later. It could be a year later. Then all of a sudden, wow, that lady came and said that to me, and I used to, I, I would have used to just blown her in two. And instead, I was gracious and kind. Something happened. Whatever that is in your life, you know that what, what's in your life. So does the Holy Spirit. I don't have to know it. You have to know it. He already knows it, and he loves you and says, okay, if you will come in the right way, and draw near, I'll take care of that for you. I'll just take care of it for you. It'll be gone. There won't be any, any use for that to be there anymore. And it's line upon line and precept upon precept. But I want you to understand the heart of God. Here's a, here's a, here's a verse. This is so good. This is the heart of God. I want you to understand the heart of God. Because we, Satan comes, and what's he do? Still steals, kills, and destroys, right? Well, how does he do that? By making accusations so you don't step into God and draw near? Because if you did and you hear his voice and the closer you get to him, the more you're going to have abundant life, which is not just life in the flesh, please. It's zoe. It's the kind of stuff that says you become one with the father and the son. That kind of life. The best life there is. Okay? So all I'm saying is, here the whole, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And many times, it's by accusation. 
and we follow after different things, and we put our thoughts on different things, and it's a futility of our minds, and we get what we think. The Bible says so. So we got to quit thinking that way. The closer you get to God, the less you think that way. This is interesting, isn't it? Wow. Then the Lord, this is Deuteronomy 5, 28 and 29. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you, and they are right in all that they have spoken. Now, this is the heart of God. He says, oh, that they had had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. That is the heart of God. Oh, that they would have such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it may be well with them and with their children forever. Now, the Bible is clear in Galatians 4 that the law was given until. It was leading up to Christ and faith. And we're not righteous by what we do. We're righteous because we were made that way by faith and faith alone. And the more we have that faith that Jesus Christ made us righteous, the more we can begin to walk in that righteousness. Because Jesus, when he came, made the law even harder. He didn't say, if you commit adultery, you're gonna, you have to die. He said, listen, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, he made it harder. He absolutely made it harder. But Jesus came so that we could draw near to God. The chastisement of, of our peace was put upon him, it says in Isaiah 53, that we could have peace with God because our sin separated us from God and we were born in it. The moment the sperm hit the egg, we are born in sin. And then Jesus came so that everything could be reversed, so that we could have peace and we could draw near to God, so that we could be changed, so that we could become who he desires us to be. Okay? So here we are. Jesus came. Now, everybody wants to tell me, ooh, I'm going to get in trouble again. Everybody wants to tell me and say the cross is everything. And I can say that the cross was the beginning of everything. Because the cross wasn't enough. What? The advent of the Lord Jesus Christ was to come. And he said, don't touch me to the women. He said, because I've got to go up. And he said, after I am gone... I'm going to send who? The Holy Spirit, a helper to you. And then he spoke to them. He said, you wait in Jerusalem so that you can be endued with power from on high. That could not happen until the cross. And God's purpose was to send the Spirit of God so that he could fill us and help us to walk in righteousness so that we would be the sons and the daughters of God. Without the Holy Spirit, you've got no hope. And the only way the Holy Spirit could come 
was by the cross and what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he took our sin. I'm not diminishing anything that Jesus did because he was awesome. I don't even understand it all. I, I'm asking God for more revelation and understanding, but I understand this, that the cross was set up for the Holy Ghost to come. And you can't do it without the Spirit of God. It's impossible. And Jesus made it harder so that you couldn't do it in your flesh. And you can't do it in your flesh. You can only do it by the Spirit. So here we are. Draw near, and I'll draw near. This is the heart of God. This is what he's after. I don't care how weak you are. I don't care how much you struggled. If you let go and you let God. My goodness, I heard that when I was a kid. It'll change your life. No matter where we are today, no matter how spiritual you think you are or I think I am, there's still more letting go that has to take place. There's still more drawing near that has to take place. There's still more God gets closer that has to take place. Because quite frankly, boy, I'm going to get trouble again. We don't love one another as we should. Because we don't love God yet as much as we're going to. Because we don't love ourselves. Because we don't know the love of God. And that's why we don't draw near. Because we hear accusation from the enemy. And in, in the process of that accusation, and you agree with them, because you can see what you do. And, they, and when you steal that pack of gum, what's he say? He doesn't say, Satan doesn't say, oh, you stole that gum. He said, you're a thief. So he already, already put you into a place of you're a thief, you'll always be a thief, you're never going to change. Because Satan is always dividing to conquer all the time. And, the, and God is always multiplying to build up all the time. The two are the opposite. And I'm just telling you, we don't love like we should. I'm guilty. I'm putting myself in the middle of it. In fact, I'll say I'm the chief of the sinners in this room. Okay? And all I'm saying is I'm going after him seeing that I don't love like I should. I'm looking at the fact that, God, your desire is for the lost to be saved, and I don't have a desire for the lost to be saved. Something's wrong with that. It's just that simple. Do I have a greater desire than I used to? Yes. But on a scale of 1 to 10, it ain't even hit 1 yet. And I'm telling you, this is the day that God wants to pour out his spirit, and we're sitting here, and we're not even, I could get into Hebrews 5 and 6 and say, you should be eating meat right now. You should be going on to perfection, and yet you still need milk. This business I'm talking about drawing near, we should have been doing this years ago. But all I'm thankful for, and I know this in God, you got to hear this. You cannot walk out and be condemned. This is an invitation. Because the moment you say, well, I can't do that, or the moment you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just like he said, you curse yourself to continue walking the same way you were. 
The moment God reveals something that says, I don't have that which I should have, Jesus is going to be there to help you get where you need to go. And I, I, I cast this down. I do it all the time because I look and see where I should be and where I am not. And I could get into the place of, God, if I'd have just known this 30 years ago. The moment you do that, you step into the enemy's camp. Did you hear what I said? The moment you do that, you step into the enemy's camp because today is the day of salvation. Today, his mercies are new today. And in God, it's, wow, this is where I was, and this is where I'm going, and I see it, and I know I need help, and I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to cast aside and lay aside those things of the past because they're not going to hang me down. They're not, I, all the things that I did wrong, all the mistakes that I made, it's okay because I am going after you, Jesus, and you are going to perfect that which concerns me, Philippians 1, 6. So you, you can't walk out of this room and say, oh, you know, he's right, we don't love enough, and I, I, I just need help because the moment you step into that place, you're stepping in the place where Satan can have a heyday and plant a garden. When you need to be stepping into a place of, I'm going to draw near. Lord Jesus, what in my life needs to be cut off? In other words, what part of my life needs to die this week? Where I can begin to draw near to you more. So that you draw near to me. So that the moment you draw near to me, I see your beauty and I fall in love. And when I fall in love, I'm changed and my heart is changed and I begin to love me. And I begin to love you. And then I can begin to love my neighbor. If you're loving your neighbor and you can't love me, something's wrong. Because it's fake. I'm being ornery again, aren't I? All I'm saying is, is that I see my need. And I am not condemned over it. Because I know where I'm headed. And I know that I'm in Christ, and I know that I'm going there, and I know that he is going to change that which concerns me and make me like him. And so I'm going to cast those things down, and I'm going to press towards him. And so I'm going to continue to draw near, and that's one of the ways of God. What I just told you was a way of God. If you go the other direction, you're going to go into a way that's going to lead to death. And Satan's been killing Christians and, and, their, and their calling for thousands of years now. And there's only a few that rise up and go above it, by the way. And I'm telling you, God has something greater for us. And we're living in an age where he's going to begin to pour out his spirit. And we have got to know, first and foremost, that all of a sudden he's going to come. Because Jesus said this. Read it. It's in Matthew 13. He said, in the last day, I'm going to send my gathering angels. And they're going to re remove the lawless and the wicked and those that stumble out of the kingdom. And then the righteous will shine brighter than the noonday sun. And I believe first it's going to come to us. Because the Bible says the judgment's going to start at the house of God. 
And then he's going to deal with those that don't want to walk with him. Because you do. We're all making an attempt to walk with him. Right? And all I'm saying is, is look and see. Lord, where, where is it that I can draw near this week to you? What can I lay down, Jesus? If you watch three hours of television at night, cut it down and only watch two. If it's you, you're listening to conservative radio on the, on the radio when you're driving, shut it off, begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. It'll kill you because of what you're used to. Okay? You cut off that one hour TV and you shut that thing off. You say, what do I do now? Just begin to pray. And if you continue to press in and be faithful, all of a sudden Jesus is going to begin to show up. And you're going to see him in ways you never, and you're going to hear him in ways you never did before. And you're going to say, this is cool. Sometimes I was sitting down with a fellow yesterday, and we had, because he's working so much we can't meet, and we were just talking about Jesus back and forth and what he's, te he's telling, telling me what Jesus is showing, speaking to him, and I'm telling him, and we're having, we're just literally giddy because we're so happy in Jesus, what he's doing in our lives. And we're so, we're so happy that he corrects us. We're so happy that he corrects us because we don't want to walk the wrong way unto death. We want to go into life. So we just see him, and he says, he says this, and he, the Lord was telling me, he was showing me, I mean, Andrew was telling me different things that the Lord was speaking to him and how he just was adjusting what he was doing because of what God said. And I declared to him, if you read in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, and it speaks, and Paul is saying, Lord, take this, this, this away from me. Because the Bible said that God allowed a thorn in the flesh to come to him, which was an infirmity, which was in his body. He was sick. And God allowed it. Oh, I just, man. And, and then Jesus, it's in red. Read it. 2 Corinthians 12, all of a sudden, there's red verses come up, pop up in that thing, man. They're all black, and then all of a sudden, it turns red. Pay attention. And the Father, Jesus says to him, he says, my, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, that's where my power can be released and be perfected. Guess what the next word is after he says that? Therefore. What was he doing before? Oh, God, please help me. I'm crying. Lord, would you help me? Take this away from me. But when Jesus spoke, everything changed. And then he said, therefore, I'm going to glory in infirmities. I'm going to glory in per persecution. I'm going to glory in this. Because I know that when I'm weak, his power can be made strong. And he knew the power of God was there because the power of God saves the lost. And what was Paul after? Saving the lost. And I declare to you, oh, I'm being ornery again. We don't have the power to save the lost right now. But this is what Jesus is going to do. And it's going to be all him. He's going to do it for his namesake. You've heard me say this time and time and time again.
He's going to do it for his namesake. He's not going to do it because you're so special, because you ain't. And by that, I mean that because you've got everything in control, and your will, and you're strong, and you're going to do it by your willpower. It's not going to happen that way. You're going to just give and yield yourself to him. And you're going to draw near. And then all of a sudden, he's going to just begin to draw near. And he's going to begin to change those things. And you're going to say, Lord, you know, you know that this is in my life. Could you take this out of my life, please? And then all of a sudden, it's going to be gone. And you'll, all of a sudden, something will happen. You'll say, wow, that was neat. Thank you. I can give you time and time and time again where Jesus has done that. I had two partners that, that messed me up, and I was mad. And for years, I'd pray for them, and I'd say, oh, God bless them, because I, I knew that's what the Bible said. And I said, Lord, would you help me forgive them? Because I, I haven't yet. I'm trying to, God, but I can't. Would you help me, God? And this, took, this went on for five years, at least for five years, probably ten. And then one day, God dropped their, their faces before me, and I began to pray for them. And in the middle of praying for them, I realized there was no more anger there. It was all gone. Ask me if I did anything about it. Ask me if I did something to make that happen. Only thing I did was I drew near. And I said, God, you see this. I see this. I know you don't like it. Would you take this from me, please? Guess what he does? He takes it. And he'll do the same thing for you because he loves you just as much as he loves me. We've been accepted in the beloved for a reason, not because we've earned it. Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he earned it. He earned everything. And it's all about him. And everything, if we just keep pointing to him and say, Jesus, would you help me? He's going to help us. And he's going to bring us to that place to where we love one another because we're going to love him more. I'm telling you, the call of God that's on this house is to love him more. Because I know that is, that is the answer to everything. Because the more we love him, the more we can love ourselves, the more what his desire is that we win the loss, he's going to pour out his spirit. And it's only by the pouring out of his spirit that we have the power to be witnesses. And it'll change lives. And right now, all he's trying to do in the midst of this little ragtag group that's here, okay, is to bring us to where we begin to go to perfection. The things that I'm speaking, what I just told you today in, in drawing near is a way to perfection. It's a way to step into where you need to be, to where you begin to be able to handle meat. It's, it's, a, it's a way that all of a sudden you don't have to have milk anymore. Now, you'll need to know how to give milk. I had to know how to mix a formula last night when I took care of my granddaughter, who's, what, seven, six, seven days old now? This is the eighth day? Okay. So I've got I've to give her milk. She can't handle anything else. She can only handle that. So there's going to be people that are going to come in here that they're going to have to have milk. They're going to have to be told how much Jesus loved them. And Jesus forgives them. And they're going to have to learn how to walk in grace and by grace and have it change their life. But the same thing I told you today, they need to hear too. Because every single person, the one that comes in new or you, we all have areas in our lives that Jesus wants to say, that does not belong to me and I'm supposed to be Lord of all and I desire that. 
in every single one of us. And I told you, I'm the chief of sinners here. So it's, I'm preaching to me. Okay? So this is just one of the ways of God. I want you to catch a hold of the fact that you've got to before you leave. You've got to know that Jesus loves you and he sees, he already knows that you need help. And all he's willing to do is to help you. And the moment he comes near, your help is there. Because my help is from the Lord. Your help is there. And the more you draw near, the, the more you resist the accusations of the enemy and the futility of your mind, the more you resist that and the more you just go and fall on the mercy of God and have faith that Jesus Christ made you righteous and that he's going to clean you up. But you have to understand the love of God did not change when all of a sudden you saw how ugly you were. He already sees it. And he called you beautiful. You think you're dark and ugly, and he says, you're beautiful. I love you. You're the best. And so she begins to believe it. And that's what God desires for you to do is to believe it. Because the more you draw near, the more all that stuff will get wiped away. Because he's going to cleanse. And love cleanses you. The more you love, the less you'll sin. I found a scripture. Last point. Ready? This is good. I found, I've been saying this for years. I found a scripture that proves this. 1 Thessalonians 3. Verses 11 through 13. We prayed it Friday night. And let's just go to 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. You can't love one another until you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, by the way. Okay? And let's watch this next verse. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Doesn't that sound like Ephesians 5, where it says in verse um, 27, that he, well, we'll go to 26, he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. Let me read the other one to you again. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 12, you cannot see God unless you're holy. And he disciplines you in order to bring you into it. So don't tell me, oh, God made me holy, and I'm holy, and I'm going to heaven. That is a lie. Oh, I did it again. I'm sorry. Blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not so. I've heard this, and it just, just disrupts me. Everybody thinks that Jesus is going to come tomorrow, which he's not, okay? Because he's going to come to his church, and he's going to have a worldwide harvest before he ever comes back, okay? And they think that they're going to be changed when they're in the air. Some may be because they just got saved. But he's going to have a church without spot or wrinkle. 
He's going to have those that are blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. This is where God desires us to go and be and to draw other people in. Because as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And what's the result of that? That we begin to draw others. Because his light's going to shine in through us and the light is going to draw them and they're going to come. Father, we thank you for the word. Thank you for your help. Thank you that it's all you. Thank you that we all need you. And thank you, Lord, that our faith is the fact that, Lord, we know that Jesus did it all, and we're going to yield to you. And we're going to resist the devil, and we're going to submit and yield to you because you have the grace necessary, the ability that we need to walk in you, and you're going to wipe out whatever is necessary in our lives.